This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt on the Cloth. This was my sermon from April 24th, 2022. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles, on page 110 in the New Testament section. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, have to just pause for there just for a second because all of them in the room were Jewish. It should say for fear of the people, but I digress. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I when he had said this, he breathed on them. Now this breathe is pneuma. Pneuma, like what we talk about, and I'm a little obsessed with, like Ruach. Here Jesus is breathing pneuma, power of God, on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, or Didymus, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, poof! Sorry, poof's not in there, but it should be, because then Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay. But these are the written so these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through believing you may have life in his name. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. So I just have to do it just as much as I did with the 815 service. I've always found this story really weird. Like really weird, in the sense that right off the bat, uh, Jesus just kind of appears, like poof, there he is. It's, it's not like Matthew where suddenly Jesus arrives. It's just they're sitting in a room and then Jesus is there. That's issue number one. Issue number two, 
Did anybody else find it a little icky that Thomas wanted to touch the wounds of Jesus? I mean, it's, it's okay to be honest here. Why would anybody want to touch somebody's open wounds? But Thomas, for some reason or another, wants to touch them. Okay, well, that's his thing, not mine. And then on top of all of those things, in the midst of this story, the disciples are there, but they're not necessarily mentioned by name. And right before this, Mary Magdalene is, but in this place, none of the disciples are mentioned except for Thomas, the twin. Interesting. We come into this story with a different idea right off the bat, but I, I, I think the problem with it is, is I think Thomas gets kind of a bad rap. In all the years that I've worked with congregations and in all of the years that I've worked with people in the midst of grief and trauma, I can tell you the one thing that I've learned. Nobody deals with grief the same. Nobody. I've been in people's lives where they've lost somebody traumatically and they literally physically can't get up off the floor because they are just completely paralyzed from the loss of this family member or friend to on the other end of the spectrum where they decide to literally go to a rock concert in honor of that person to celebrate the life that they shared with that person the day of or the day after they've lost that loved person. In the midst of all of our grief and pain, the thing that I will say is the constant is, is that everybody pays attention to everybody else's grief, but never acknowledges as their own. Can you believe they're doing that? Can you believe they're handling it this way? We don't get that right. That's not your choice to make. The disciples needed to see Jesus a certain way. For them, in that moment, the gospel writers wanting you to understand that they just needed to see him physically. Thomas, he needed more. Now the fascinating part, when you read the gospel of John, is there's no reprimand. There's no moment where Jesus is like, Oh, Thomas, you doubting fool, right? The church has always made it out to that way. We even call it the phrase, the doubting Thomases of the world. Which, let's be honest, if we're really being honest, that's all of us on a daily basis anyway. We doubt the presence of God. We doubt the, the moments of the divine, the miraculous, on a daily basis. So why wouldn't we be like Thomas? Why would we have to judge Thomas's amount of grief? And notice what Jesus says. Just come touch my hands. Eat. As soon as he sees it, touches it, he says the only thing that makes sense. My Lord. God. I think that's beautiful. Sometimes we're scornful of him. He's not unlike many of us. He needs that moment. He needs the visuals. He needs to physically touch Jesus' wounds in order for his faith to take root and grow. And 
part that I'm hoping that you've gathered from the reading of the scripture is Jesus acknowledges that. You do realize that Jesus appeared to his disciples in the way that he knew they needed. Only someone that knows you can do that. Only someone that's built a relationship with you can do that. It's the only way that makes sense. It's like, for some reason, somebody just knows exactly what you're going through as much as they can, and they just know the right thing to do. And Jesus does that to the disciples, Thomas, I think it's important to notice also that in the midst of this, how Jesus, poof, arrives. As I was picking on the high school kids in the 815 service, I said, you know, honestly, if Jesus was, you were in a room and you were in hiding and then Jesus just kind of appeared, what would be the only thing that you could hear from him that would give you a sense of comfort? Well, you know, poof, he arrives. You would hope he'd say, whoa, 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 wait. Peace be unto you. John is brilliant at understanding Jesus' healing power. In the Gospel of John chapter 14, I use this in every celebration of life story. In every single one of those, it's important for me that you hear this message because in the Gospel of John, we get the idea of peace and that Jesus brings that peace unlike any other human being. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he says, My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. And here he's died and he's resurrected and he appears amongst them. And the very first thing he says is, Whoa, 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 wait. Peace. Be unto you. See, they've built a relationship with him. He understands that they've heard these words. He knows what we need. You see, I think part of the struggle that we have with today's church is, is that we assume that we know what everyone needs. But we can't take your grief. We, we don't know your trauma. We don't know what's happened in your life. And yet we are supposed to be the embodiment of Christ. You, you do recognize where this is going. In this exact same story, Jesus appears to the disciples. He breathes into them a mission. As if God breathes life into creation, Jesus breathes life into his disciples and says, go into all the world. <laughs> no pressure or anything, but that's you. I think sometimes it gets a little flipped, like, well, Josh knows everybody in the church and he knows exactly the right words to say at the midst of our grief and our pain, and, and that's just a lie. So... I mean, I, I know a lot of you, but I don't know all of you. And I don't necessarily know all the words to say. But I, and sometimes I really just don't have any words to say. And that's probably the more appropriate response in people's grief, by the way. 
But in the moment of that, that's where you come in because we as a community are there for each other. It, it's, that's the way it's designed. If God breathes this into you, and you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, then it becomes our responsibility. A little bit intimidating. So here's what I want us to think. At the 815 service, I, I gave them a challenge that I'd like to give to you all. And, and uh, as I turn into Mr. Bell for this week and start helping out teaching and things of that nature again, I'm giving you a homework assignment, but you have three months to accomplish the end goal. The week after Easter, I'm giving you a homework assignment. And you're like, oh, come on. But this is when we're supposed to do the most work. If you've been sent on a mission, I need to know for you. You don't need to tell me, but your homework assignment is to do this. You need to ask, what do you need from Jesus in order for your faith to bloom? I'm going to ask that question again. What do you need from Jesus in order for your faith to bloom? Here's a part of your homework assignment. This week, I want you to write it down. Say it out loud. Tell another person, perhaps. And in all intents and purposes, tell Jesus. Now, I'm going to do this again just so that everybody hears this part. Because those that are listening to the recording and those that are listening online, the homework assignment is you're asking yourself, what do I need from Jesus in order for my faith to bloom? And this week, in the quiet recesses of your daily devotional prayer life, or in just a few 15-minute moments, you need to write it down. After you've done that, I want you to say it out loud. Maybe you do it during your prayer time. The telling another person is completely up to you. But you have to tell Jesus. And then, the homework assignment is to wait, watch, and wonder over the summer. I have, a, I have a goal for this, but in August, we're going to kind of revisit these. And the reason I'm doing it now is just because in a couple weeks, I'm going to lose a whole bunch of you for vacations and softball tournaments and baseball tournaments and who knows what kind of tournaments. And, and then in those moments, you have been sent out into the world and this homework assignment is to be just kind of like what Jesus does with the disciples here in this moment, except I don't have the ability to breathe into your face. And after retiring a thousand flags, that's not happening. You don't want me anywhere near your face. But I think what I have come to understand in my own spiritual journey as I deal with grief, as I deal with trauma, there are a few things that I know. One, the gospel's power. Nothing, I want you to hear this, nothing can inhibit the progress of the gospel. 
not the world's disbelief, not skepticism, and not even doubt within the church. Two, faith. This is trust in another is not simply a matter of handling belief down like an heirloom. Faith, as in this story, implies is personal. The disciples found comfort in it. Thomas proclaims, my Lord, my God, because of his faith. Number three, seeing and believing. The notion of seeing and believing that appears throughout John's gospel and culminates here in Christ's resurrected state proves that one may see and not believe. And let's be honest, all of us may not see, and yet we do believe. Four. The mission for the fourth gospel is the gift of the Spirit and the articulation of the community's mission that they're intimately and inseparably tied to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. When the church celebrates Easter, it also celebrates the beginning of its mission. For John, the church's ongoing life is a community of faith as the people who continue Jesus' work in the world derives from Jesus' Easter promise and gift. I only have two more. Hope. The New Interpreter's Bible suggests a, a homiletic thought that says, the story of Thomas is one of hope. Possibilities, not judgment and reprimand. Later generations too will experience the grace of God and Jesus. As bold as Jesus' gesture is to Thomas's ear, Jesus' care for the faith of those who come after Thomas, us, who will not see, is equally without limit and measure. And then six. This is the hard one. Community is important. Community is important. Do you hear me say this? Only from the moment that it could be said of Thomas that he was with them in the company of the other disciples where he belonged and should have been in the first place did he fully understand the mystery of Jesus, of Jesus' identity. As C.W. Berger would write, that is to say it is only, begin, it is only within the community of faith that one can encounter the living Christ. Belonging precedes believing. Now this is not to be misinterpreted by saying, well, you have to be at church every Sunday. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that when people feel as though that they are a part of a, a, a larger family, a body of Christ, they feel the presence of God without ever having to see Jesus. How do you think that is? That's by experiencing God's love through you. The ultimate goal for this is, for me, and I'm 
being very transparent this morning. And the, and the objective for me is, is that I, I, I have to find Jesus in everything that I do. And some days it's good. And there are some days that I just want Jesus to stop yelling at me. And in this, in this moment, as, as we're having this conversation, as, as I'm being completely transparent with you, one of the hardest parts about being just a human being, not a minister, is the fact that the world wants to promote a message of hate. Now, I want you just to imagine, as we get kind of close to this end, just imagine for just a second what it would be like if you are truly the embodiment of Christ. And you walk into a, let's say, a, a committee meeting, or we can't use that because our committees all get along. Let's say you go into a, a meeting with other people, right? And there's this dysfunction in that group. And there's arguments going on in that group. And people are upset with each other. And you can feel the angst and the, the, the just, you know what I'm talking about, right? The, the tenderness of everybody's angry. You are the presence of God. You are the embodiment of Christ, and just for some reason, you just, you become the peace. Now, I'm not telling you to go to your meetings and say, peace be unto you. But it would make people laugh. And it would, it would cut the ice. Imagine what that world would look like. If every one of us, as we left this place, we didn't just say it. We lived it. And poof. We felt it and we said, peace be unto you. I, I do not give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. I think in that moment, in that just that brief moment, we find something of the divine. We participate in the true family of Christ and bring comfort to the masses by just our mere presence. People will see the presence of the divine in you. And then, when we hear the gospel of John message, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid the peace that I give to you, no one else in the entire world can give you. And I don't give it to you lightly. I give you a piece of myself. And that peace be unto you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.